is beautiful, God. We just rest in you.
heaven come. Father, our desire is for earth to reflect heaven. And Lord, I just lift up this body right here, our family. Lord, I know that there are needs. If you need something from God, raise your hand. I think that's pretty well 100, well, almost 100%. Maybe some of them didn't hear. When heaven touches earth, needs get met. So, Father, I just lift up the needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl here tonight to you, Father. And, Lord, just as we've sang and we've worshipped you and we've declared heaven to earth, Lord, we stand in the gap from our heavenly place right here as sons and daughters. And right now I declare over the needs of this body. And I speak and release breakthrough in the name of Jesus. I speak and declare healing in bodies and healing in relationships. I declare financial breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. 
emotional breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. Addiction breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. Rejection issues in the name of Jesus. Lack of identity of who we are in Christ. Lord, I release I release your wisdom, your wisdom, Father, for everyone to know your wisdom, to declare your wisdom in their lives, to walk and talk with you, Father, to know you more intimately. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are hovering over them. You, I know you live in them, but you are here in this place. And I thank you that they feel your presence. They feel your power. They feel your love. That, you, that there are love encounters going on right now. Your love encounters. And you're holding people tight tonight. They feel your peace. Lord, I just declare your peace that passes all understanding. If you're close to someone, just reach out and touch them. And just say, I declare a blessing over you tonight. I declare the blessings of the Lord shall overtake you. Now go in the other direction and bless another person. Just bless them. Release heaven. Release heaven. Release heaven into them. Release his love. Release his grace. Release his mercy into the lives of others. Let us meet the needs of one another. Let's carry one another's burdens. Lord, we thank you, Father, for what you're doing tonight. Thank you, Father. Let heaven come. I just declare that you will walk out here different than the way you came in because of the love encounters with your heavenly Father. Father, we just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Let's give God some praise. Amen. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Well, Pastor Eric has uh, made it to Brussels. And uh, he's in the airport for a few hours. And then he will be flying out to Abidjan and should get there sometime tomorrow afternoon, I think around 4 o'clock. So he's, he's made his first leg, now he's on his second. Um, so thank you. Thank you for praying for him. And It was already a difficult day to send him off this morning. I was like, oh, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. I did, but oh well. Brussels, Belgium. Belgium. <laughs> He's just a little sprout. <laughs> oh, this is what I know. Lives are going to be changed. So whether you sowed a financial seed or whether you're praying for him, we're, we're going to reap a harvest here because of planting him and sending him there. Amen? So not only is it going to be just in Africa that we're going to see a harvest, but we're going to see a harvest here too. Amen? You know, God is a God of multiplication. So it's not just addition with him. He multiplies big time. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. And be praying for all of our youth and Jason and Jessica and Lenny. Um, and all the youth, I think there's 17 of them, went to Vic Camp Victory today. And they'll be back Saturday night. So I just declare love encounters for them. Let them come back different forever. Amen? Amen. You know, so, so many times the kids go to camp and they come back fired up. I want it to be a forever encounter that they're never the same again. Amen? Amen. Well, let's give to the Lord tonight. Let's bless the Lord with our giving. This is your opportunity to, to sow. And, and you know what? This is what I know. Just like we sing, just like we sing to the Lord, we worship the Lord with our giving. So I'm just going to um, 
Just pray a blessing over the tithes and offerings tonight. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that we can come together. We, we never want to take this for granted, that we can come together corporately and that we can meet together as a family, as a body. And, Lord, we just thank you, Father, that, that we want to honor you now. Not only Okay, praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Linda Poston, how's that sound? <laughs> she is going to be ministering the word of God tonight. Give her a hand. And I'm going to be ministering on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a long time on Sunday, so pray for me. Oh, <laughs> you remember. I, I might surprise you. Probably not, but um, Past Virginia will be next Sunday. And, and David. David Porter will be the next Wednesday. Woohoo! All right, so praise God. All right, Pastor Linda. I think the kids are released. I thought I saw some over here, but all right. I, I officially released the kids. Have fun in, in children's, well, it's not children's church, I guess it is, but your class tonight. Yeah, you're there. <laughs> so I think we better pray. Thank you. Father, you are so awesome. I simply do not have the words to express what you mean to me. I'm asking for the presence of your precious spirit here tonight. We're going to cover some pretty practical stuff, but Father, I'm asking for your anointing on it. Anoint me as speaker. Anoint this body as listeners. Father, just prepare the soil ahead of time for what we have here. And what I don't give, Father, I just ask that you give it to them supernaturally. Just increase their understanding to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to turn my phone off. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) Old spice. Old Spice, that's what it is. Yeah. Sorry. It'll just ring and ring and ring. That's the first thing to write down, Shelly. (laughs) Turn your phone off. Okay, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. Three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want to kind of break that down just a minute. Um, uh, It says that uh, we do not walk after the flesh, nor do we war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I looked up that word strongholds in the strongs, and it talks about a fortress, but the second meaning is arguments and reasonings by which we endeavor to fortify our opinions. So I thought that was important. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, again, strong says that is a barrier like a high wall that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, 
So this carries the meaning that these walls or barriers are built up to actually keep us from seeing God's will for us. It's like he's trying to imprison us. Sometimes it seems like he's just in there kicking up dirt all the time to cloud our vision. Um, And bringing into captivity, forced capture every thought through the thought to the obedience of Christ. Forced capture. Now that's not an easy thing, is it? That's like going and taking an enemy and putting handcuffs on them and capturing them. And when you capture them, you make them your servant. So I think God's trying to tell us here that our thoughts are supposed to be our servants. And I wonder, are yours serving you well? I want to read that in the Message Bible because it's so good. It's just particularly good there. It says, the world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. We know that, don't we? But we don't live to fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. Wow. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. I just thought that was good. That just puts it where we live because we do live in a corrupt culture. And sometimes that culture seems so big to us that we can't possibly do a thing about it. But here the word of God tells us that that's exactly why he gave us our weapons is to demolish that corrupt culture. Our minds and thought lives become the place where we battle or experience God's best for us. Sometimes it's heaven on earth, and sometimes we live in a little hell here on earth. Not only do we struggle with our own thoughts, but we have an enemy whose highest ideal is to maim and harm and steal and destroy. If you feel like you have a target on your back, you're right. You do. You do. But before we get things out of order here, I don't want you to think that I am preaching big devil, little God. Quite to the contrary. I'm going to talk about big God, little devil. In fact, just to kind of set the tone for this, have you gone to the back of the book and read what happens to the devil? If you will just indulge me tonight, I want to read to you out of Revelation, the end of our enemy. Just to put it in perspective, Revelation 21, and I don't want you to turn there. I want you to just turn on the big screen of your mind. I love this because it's full of battle and blood and brimstone. It's just like an epic movie. It says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now, that's angel, little a. It's not even an archangel. It's an angel. Some some theologians say that that is Jesus. If it is, I want to see that. I want to see it. That's great. It says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. So skipping down to verse 7, it says, And when a thousand years had expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, And he shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle. So, same M.O., 
He's just going about with deception. That's how he does it. He deceives. He lies. Um, Gog and Magog, I kind of studied that out a little bit because I always stop right there because I don't understand what those words are. Um, Gog means a people, and Magog just means a land of these people. So if if I were using that, I would say Russians and the land of Russia. So that's what Gog and Magog is. And there are some studies that say that these are the nations of Iraq and Iran, the Islamic nations. And it includes Russia, which I don't know if, I don't think Russia is Islamic now, but um, they say it includes Russia. It says to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went out on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints all about. So they surround the saints. This vast army, this vast rebel army surrounds the saints and the beloved city. Of course, that's Jerusalem. And then fire came down from God and heaven and devoured them. Just that simple. There was no battle. There was nothing. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Beloved, that's it. It's over for him. I mean, he's never heard from again. He's gone. There is no struggle between God and Satan. None. He is not a formidable enemy to God like he tries to tell you he is. When time is fulfilled, God simply drops him in the lake of fire, and it's over. And through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, that God that grabs him by the scruff of the neck and drops him in the lake of fire lives in you. That same God, that same power, lives in you. Satan doesn't have any more power than we give him. We have been made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox here and get to my real message. But I just wanted to put him in perspective. He is not eternal. He is not anywhere close to the same strength as God. He's our enemy, not God's. I mean, he's an enemy to God, but he's not like an adversary, a worthy adversary to God. Okay, so how many of you think you're a quiet person? Yeah, lots of people. (laughs) The truth is, whether you talk a lot or not, you're a very noisy person. We form and process thousands and thousands of words in our mind every day. In my field, we call that self-talk or internal dialogue. It keeps up all day long. Proverbs 23 tells us as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So those thoughts are pretty important. We're in constant chatter with ourselves and often it's tainted with anxiety Fear, guilt, negativity, things like, I should not have done that. I can't do that. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I should not have eaten that. (laughs) That light is red. It's hot out here. I'm hungry. That was a dumb move. I want a chocolate chip cookie. It just goes on and on. We're never quiet. We're constantly chattering. We constantly have thoughts that serve us, thoughts that guide our every step. Every word that we speak through our mouth is verbalized in our mind first. Every action we take is verbalized in our mind first. So often what we are thinking just jumps right out of our mouth. And now we have added our creative force to it. I've taken the challenge that Shelley offered to watch my words. 
And here's some of the things I've caught myself saying that I really don't want to invite into my life. That just makes me crazy. I'm sick and tired of. That just tickles me to death. I can't stand. I'm just going to die if. See, I don't want to invite those things into my life. But you know, it's not just what comes out of your mouth that's causing your pains. Your thoughts are literally steering your destiny. As human beings, it's very important for us to be right. Being right helps us feel safe in our world. It helps us feel like we're on top of everything if we're right. And so once we experience something and it becomes a core belief, we set about to defend that belief. And the way we defend that belief is by something that we call linear thinking. And that just simply means that you accept everything that supports your story and you ignore everything that doesn't. Let me give you an example. Tom's mother, precious lady, precious lady, but she um, experienced several tornadoes in her life. And she became extremely fearful, not only of tornadoes, but of all clouds. Often she was glued to the weather channel, and we would get a call, and she would be afraid. And I would hear Tom say, Mother, that tornado warning is in Minnesota or Missouri. And she would just ignore him. She was already afraid. There were tornadoes. They were talking about tornadoes. And that core belief caused her to believe that now she was in danger. We could be outside on a perfectly sunny day, and if some clouds came over, she would say, they're starting to build up. We thought it was ridiculous, but she was terrified. And it wasn't funny for her. You may been, have been marginalized or ignored as a child and developed the belief that you're not important. If you did, it's possible that you've gone through life looking for evidence to maintain that belief. And your character and your behavior are reflecting it just as surely as Proverbs 23 is true, true, true. People you work with may have validated your input ten times, but you grab hold on the one time when you were passed over. And with such fierceness that it's like the other ten don't even exist as you obsess on the one time. When I was in college, I was so driven by my need to be good enough. If I made 98 on an exam, I never enjoyed the 98. I obsessed over the two points. I would argue with the teacher over the two points. I had to be perfect to be worthy. If you were abused as a child, you may have grown up thinking the world was a very dangerous place. And if you didn't control your environment and the people in it, you could get hurt. Women who have been raped often come to believe they are a victim, dirty, unworthy, used goods, and they accept far less in their lives than they sh that a child bought, uh, that a child should. Those of us who struggle with addiction, and I say us, because I'm kind of a little chunky chicken here, I obviously fight a battle with food. Those of us who struggle with addiction, you can quit. I can diet. You can become clean or sober, but you struggle every day with it because you haven't dealt with the core belief that's causing that addiction and that need to escape. 
I want to read to you a case study out of Joyce Meyer's book because it's so good. It just explains exactly what goes on in our life. Mary and her husband John are not enjoying a happy marriage. And everybody knows Mary or is Mary. This is very common. There is strife between them all the time. They're both angry, bitter, and resentful. They have two children who are being affected by the problems in the home. The strife is showing up in their schoolwork and behavior. One of the children is having stomach problems because of nerves. Mary's problem is that she doesn't know how to let John be the head of the home. She is bossy. She wants to make all the decisions, handle the finances, and discipline the children. She wants to work so she will have her own money. She is independent, loud, demanding, and a nag. And you may be thinking, I've got the answer. She needs Jesus. She does know him. Mary received Jesus as her Savior five years ago, three years after she and John were married. Do you mean there hasn't been a change in Mary's life since receiving Jesus as Savior? Yes, there's been a change. She believes she's going to heaven even though her bad behavior causes her to feel constant condemnation. She has hope now. Before she met Jesus, she was miserable and hopeless. Now she's just miserable. Mary knows her attitude is wrong. She wants to change. She has received counseling from two people. She takes every opportunity to be prayed for and asks for victory over anger, rebellion, unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness. Why hasn't she seen more improvement? The answer is found in Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, to its external superficial customs, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mary has strongholds in her mind. They've been there for years. She doesn't even understand how they got there. She knows she shouldn't be rebellious, bossy, nagging, but she doesn't know what to do to change her nature. It seems that she simply reacts to certain situations in an unseemly way because she can't control her actions. Mary can't control her actions because she doesn't control her thoughts. She doesn't control her thoughts because she doesn't even know that doing so is an option for her. There are strongholds in her mind that the devil set up early in her life. Satan began to initiate his well-laid plans and to sow his deliberate deception at a very young age. In Mary's case, her problem started a long time ago in childhood. As a child, Mary had an extremely domineering father who often spanked her just because he was in a bad mood. If she made one wrong move, he would vent his anger on her. For years, she suffered hopelessly as her father mistreated her and her mother. He was disrespectful in all of his ways towards his wife and daughter. Mary's brother, however, could do no wrong. It seemed as if he was favored because he was a boy. By the time she was 16, Mary had been brainwashed for years by Satan, who told her lies that went something like this. Men really think they're something. They're all alike. You can't trust them. They will hurt you and take advantage of you. If you're a man, you've got it made in life. You can do anything you want. You can order people around, be the boss, treat people any way you please, and nobody especially wives or daughters, can do anything about it. As a result, Mary's mind was resolved. When I get away from here, nobody is ever going to push me around again. Satan was already waging war on the battlefield of her mind. Play those thoughts over and over in your mind a 100,000 times for a period of more than 10 years and see if you're ready to get married and become a sweet, submissive, adoring wife. And that's just the way it works. One of the reasons, Trace, you can have this. Yeah. One of the reasons that injuries that happen to us in childhood stick and hurt us so badly is because the neocortex of the brain, the front part of the brain that gives us this nice high forehead, 
the part of the brain that houses our judgment capabilities, doesn't fully develop until we're about 25 years old. And until then, we operate out of the hindbrain, which houses fear and hunger and sleep and sex. You sound like a teenager, huh? And so when something happens, a child doesn't have any way to use that higher judging process to process it. And that thing just lives on and on and on in their mind. So if you find yourself in this situation, how can you get yourself free from these snares? I have some handouts. Christy, will you hand those out? that will help us illustrate how to overcome core beliefs. While she's handing those out, I want to talk to you just a little bit about a technique I use in my office. It's called thought stopping. And it applies so well if I have a Christian client because we can take it to the super step. But thought stopping just simply means that in your mind, you build neural pathways and they're like well-worn highways in your brain. Sometimes it's like a video loop. And if you'll notice, when you start, when something triggers that loop in your brain, you'll play the same story over and over and over. It just doesn't even hardly vary any at all. And what we ask our clients to do is to build a stop sign right there because we know that that thought is not serving you well. So we build a stop sign there. And I tell them, you know, say stop in your mind, but say it forcefully, stop. And then you have to have a prearranged thought that you want to think in its place. So if my thought were, I'm worthless, I can do nothing, as soon as that thought is triggered, I say stop. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You change the thought. You can't come up with it on the spur of the moment, on the fly. You have to have it prearranged and ready to go. There's some benefit to memorizing scripture. There really is. You need to have these ready to go. And pretty soon that video loop or that neural pathway will begin to dissolve. Have you ever seen an old highway that was breaking down? And it had grass growing up in it and sunflowers. And that's kind of the way I imagine it to be. It begins to just dissolve away. And then when Shelly asks me to do something and I start to think, oh, I can't do that. I think, I can do all things through Christ. And it becomes automatic. It becomes your go-to thought when that's triggered. And that old neural pathway dissolves. You can make your thoughts serve you instead of you serving them. But who knew? We have control over our thoughts. We can take them captive. We can capture them and make them our servant. So now we can overcome these things that are driving us. So I've just got kind of a little illustration here to just drive my point home. Life events happen. People are going to treat you badly. They're going to say ugly things to you. And maybe you're not, you didn't have a perfect home growing up. Probably a lot of us didn't. Because of these events, you might be saying to yourself, I'm not safe here. I can't. I'm worthless. I have to be in control. I'm used up. She doesn't love me. No one does. God can never use me. And the next page... People say, and, you know, this is a little negative on this page, and I wish I'd had time to change it because when I read it over, I thought, ah, oh, that's, that's too negative because God does honor counselors, and he honors people who take good advice. So, you know, you can take good advice. Just be careful who you're taking it from. If you're taking advice from someone who has been divorced four times and is struggling in their current marriage, probably don't take marriage advice from them. You know, be careful who you take advice from, but advice from people's good. But some of the things people might tell you are, man up. I've heard them say, cowgirl up. Try. Quit having a pity party. Don't be so controlling, like that's in your control right there. I can use you. 
Join the church and serve. She loves you. I love you. People tell you all those things. But on the next page, if you really want to put the super to the natural, you add God's word to it. Because his word just simply never, never, never returns void. It's going to accomplish what he sent it to do every time. So when you incorporate the word of God into this thought stopping, then you've got a supernatural element going. You're going to win every time with God. So a life event happens. And instead of saying, I'm not safe here, You've already memorized this scripture. And you say, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And pretty soon that becomes your go-to neural pathway. And it's automatic with you. And you become fearless. I can't do that. Well, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm no good. I'm worthless. God valued me so much. He sent his son to die for me. John 3:16. And you know you don't have to memorize King James word for word if you just have a good knowledge of what the word of God says and you can just throw that in instantly when these things are triggered. I love this. God can't ever use me. I'm spoiled goods. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God called me to do it, it's gonna, it's, he'll perform it in me. If I'll yield to him, he will perform that in me, and it will come to pass. I can be confident in that. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. that's such a good one. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. When you feel worthless, that's a good one. But you have to have a working knowledge of the word to do this. And you have to have it in advance. You know, if, um, I don't know, if something happens that triggers your low self-esteem and you think, I can't do that, I can't do that, I've never been good at anything before in my life, I've always failed. What, 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 what? oh, i got to think of a scripture now. doesn't work that way. You have to have that scripture ready. Partly because you're throwing it up in the face of the enemy and it stops him cold. And partly because you're listening to it. You know, someone said, be careful what you say because you're listening. It's very true. Make your thoughts serve you. Bring every thought into captivity. It's the God way. It's the God way. Using God's words in place of your own or people's will get the attention of all heaven. When you use God's word, heaven comes to your aid. Angels, they're there just ready to do the bidding of the saint as long as it lines up with God's word. They're ready to do that. So use the tools that God gave you to win this game. I have seen so many people through the years in my office, and without fail, it's their core beliefs that are causing problems. We always know what we're supposed to do. It's up there, and what we're doing is way over here. And all the problems occur in that gap. They're between doing what we're supposed to do and what we're doing. So just move one step closer to what you're supposed to do. And when you own that, when you're comfortable with it, move another step closer to what you're supposed to be doing. How many times have I heard Eric say it and move across this platform? Take one step at a time, and you'll make it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, one step. I think you're going to hear some of that Sunday, too. I was like, no, 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 stay away from my message. 
And then I say, okay, Holy Spirit. He always, he always likes to reinforce, doesn't he? Like I said, it's the same Holy Spirit. Well, we are, we're good here. 742. So I just want to invite those of you that our prayer teams come up. Because I know we had lots of hands raised. I know I prayed for you, but um, it's going to, since we've got some time here to be able to open it up for some specific prayer. So come on, come on up here, teams. You've been on it. You can pray. David, Sean, and Tatum. Nita. Christy. Marie, you guys. Linda. Winona. You know, um, can you play some music, James? Susan. Angela. All right. Anyway, just don't be shy. Come up here and let them pray for you and let, let them lift up your needs to the Lord and let them just pray a blessing over you. Even if you don't want to share a need, just let them pray a blessing over you and you know, how many of you know that he is our strength and our strong tower, our ever-present help in time of trouble? But it's pretty awesome when we've got others lifting us up and praying with us to remind us about him being our strength and strong tower. So I just, I bless you, and I release those of you that if you don't want prayer, you can just be praying at your seat for those that are receiving prayer. Love you, and we'll see you Sunday. Amen. Bring a friend. Bring a friend Sunday. God bless you.